Happy New Year. Eh, it's a little late, frankly, for the Happy New Year's, you know? Why? Just happened a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, that's too long. Uh, statute of limitations is kind of run out on the New Year's. Three days. Plenty. Three days. By the way, everything doesn't have to be happy. Well, why true. does everything have to be happy? The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal. The redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest ban, which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. And when his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys. This was an extensive and magnificent structure, the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron. The courtiers having entered brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress nor egress to the sudden impulses of despair or of frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons, there were improvisatori, there were ballet dancers, there were musicians, there was beauty, there was wine. All these and security were within. Without was the Red Death. You have nothing to be scared about. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hi. Good, how are you? I'm good. We are uh, continuing to round up our favorite movies of 2020, and we're kicking off this week with my favorite movie of 2020 still, I think, even with all the great movies that I've seen this year. I love The Lodge. This uh, I saw this in theaters back before the shutdown, and then I watched it again as soon as it hit Hulu, and then I watched it again for this episode. This is um, brought to you by the filmmaking duo of Veronica Franz and Severin Fila. I don't know if I'm saying that right. They made the uh, 2014 movie Goodnight Mommy, which we talked about back on the oh. kids episode. Boom. Mm-hmm. And this is their second feature film. They also had an entry in an anthology movie called the Field Guide to Evil, which I haven't seen, but I need to because I love these guys. It's real weird, dude. I've never even heard it's of real that. weird. 
Yeah. Oh, really? So this is their second big feature. This is American uh, or English language, I should say. Um, pretty star-studded cast. I love this movie so much because, for my money, it is the darkest, most evil, most unrelenting, pitch-black movie of the bunch. There is no hope at all in this movie. It's one of the darkest things I've ever seen. Very simple story. A widowed, a recently widowed father of two young kids is trying to get them to accept his new fiance, and decides that they should head up to the lodge for Christmas and get to know each other real good. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he has to take off for a couple of days first, so it's just going to be the kids and his fiance Grace, and they're going to uh, get real tight and accept their new stepmommy. Um, Big fan. I I would watch it again. I, I might watch it again tonight. Kevin, what'd you think? Oh, I love this one. I, I don't know if it was my favorite. I don't know if it's the top of the pile, but this is one probably even more so than the other three movies that I will revisit the most because it is, I think, the most watchable in terms of just sitting down and watching a horror flick. Um, it It is very, very dark. It does take a lot out of you. I watched this, I think, like three times this year. You know, at least a couple, and then when you know it came up for the best of 2020, I had to had to revisit it. So I was sharp, and the first time I watched it, I was kind of confused. I don't know how you guys felt when you watched it for the first time, like trying to follow along. And I don't know. Again, I say it all the time. If it was just the environment I was watching it or whatever, but I found the second time watching it that it hit me even harder. And there was a lot, unlike a lot of the times I talk about watching things a second or third time and you can sort of like sit back and watch it. That's not the case, at least in my experience with this movie. I was still discovering things on the second watch and like really digging my heels into this story. I love it. It, it I, I don't know much about Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala. I, I you know, personally, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't have kids or if they do, they fucking hate their kids because... I don't trust them. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust them as parents. Um, so, yeah, let's check. Let's do, a, let's do a wellness check on their children if they have any. But they really have a knack for making kid horror uh, really, really accessible. I love that this is our second movie, I think, on the show we've talked about with Riley Q, who plays the stepmommy that you talked about, Trent Grace. She knocks this one out of the park. She's astounding. I love the older son, Jaden Martell, Aiden. Uh, he plays uh, Aiden, and he you'd know him from It. you know him from Knives Out. Then you have young Mia, played by Liam McHugh. I only really knew her from one of the Into the Dark um, uh, Hulu entries. And then you have Richard Armitage as Richard. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the Hannibal TV show, uh, The Stranger. Um, and then you have the return of one of our 90s goddesses, Alicia Silverstone, playing yes. Richard's first wife. And mm -hmm. wow, what a return for Alicia Silverstone. This movie comes out the gate swinging. I was like, yes, Alicia Silverstone's in the lodge. This is amazing. Oh, okay. Let's move on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then one of the cooler casting things that I discovered looking this movie up is Danny Q plays Aaron Marshall, who play who is in in the movie is Grace's father. Well, in real life, that is actually Riley Q's dad. Ah, did not know that. Kevin, I like how you referred to her as the stepmommy. That was a nice touch. <laughs> it was cute. 
Um, this movie is fucked. To put it very lightly, uh, I was stressed the entire time I was watching this film. The first time, the second time, I understood what was happening, and I was still I was still pretty stressed. Uh, there's a lot of emotional turmoil going on. Mm. Not only from these children who have just lost, you know, a parent to suicide, but also from this poor woman who had who was the sole survivor in a Heaven's Gate cult situation. Uh, I spent the whole movie trying to figure out what was going on at this lodge. Uh, is it supernatural? Is it ghosts? Is it demons? Is it humans? It could have really been anything. I had no fucking idea what was going on. I thought it might have been cult related because of the weird cult backstory, which I think was my favorite part was like the creepy dad and like the Heaven's Gate Nike situation. Um, There seemed to be so many clues laying around, uh, but I just couldn't figure it out. Like they would always pop all these things up and I'm like, oh, that might be important. Pay attention to that. Oh, that might be important. Oh, the painting's falling down. What's that mean? Catholicism? I don't know. It could be anything. Um, And then I found out what was happening. And my stress turned to sheer, sheer horror and anger. I was angry. I didn't like it. (laughs) I didn't like anything. So as a horror film, I think this 100% succeeded in what it was trying to do. Do I ever want to watch it again? Probably not. I think two times was definitely enough for me to get the full scope of the film Mm. it was a great film it was a great horror film i just don't think i ever want to put myself through that again and uh but it was beautiful uh very visually striking a lot of contrast between the light and dark a lot of 90 degree angles a lot of symmetry very like horror wes anderson if you will um it's definitely a very effective horror movie it left me and the rest of the house, we all watched it together uh, when quarantine started. Oh, oh nice. We're like, nice. everybody nice. sit down. Let's watch this beautiful film together. Oh, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Literally, like, silence after this movie ended just for, like, five minutes. And we're like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Cool, cool, yeah, cool. You guys cool, want to cool, get gelato? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, should we get some two dine in? I don't really know what to do from this point. Um, I definitely, it was a great pick. It's a great movie. I hate it, <laughs> but it's like a love-hate thing, and I think that's that's what you want in this kind of movie. Like, you love it, but also you hate yourself for loving it, and I just never want to see it again, so. After I just said this is going to be on, like, my annual watch list. <laughs> yeah, I was the whole time, like, fuck it, I, I'm not coming over. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, this is my fifth time watching The Lodge. Wow. Ooh. Including, uh, you know, one viewing with my child. <laughs> so, like, this is definitely not too dark for me. I loved it. Um, and in retrospect, when I went back and watched it for a fifth time, um, I had previously stated that my number one of the year was his house. But I think just because there was a touch of, like, special effectiveness that doesn't really, isn't really my bag. This one was just all like psychological mm-hmm. and it it was really scary. It was really disorienting. The same time that, you know, they're disorienting you and the protagonist at the same time. So you're just as confused as they are. Um, and that also happens at Goodnight Mommy. I was calling this Goodnight Stepmommy. 
Yes. It's just basically the <laughs> two is, kids yeah. fucking with a stepmom instead of a mom. But um, yeah, I think that's real. And like, it's hard to tell what uh, the motives of children are and how far they'll take, you know, push the threshold of uh, whatever, you know, you, you don't know what is happening sometimes because uh, you're on a totally different wavelength. So I like how this director uses that to scare people. Um, de- definitely my favorite movie of the year. Um, super well acted, super frustrating. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is something we haven't brought up, I think, in a few episodes, but we, we were on a run for a while talking about like the useless dad. And holy shit, like, you know, his family is super fucked up and he drives them to the lodge in the middle of winter. And then he's just like, all right, I got to go hit the books for a while, make some money, put food on the table. You guys, good luck. I mean, that dude is like literally the most useless dad that we probably saw in a movie this year. Probably uh, some of the most harrowing depictions of childhood trauma i've ever seen on film it is hard to watch the initial stages of this movie especially the young girl it's like oh man i'm not sure i've seen anything like it you know as a as a single dad i'll you know let the world know that you know i've wanted to bring home every like sketchy ex cult survivor that I've met uh, and help have them raise my daughter and like leave them abandoned in some cabin somewhere. Um, but I haven't, but I haven't, you know, um, it's like your Great babysitter job. plan. Da- Dave's yeah, interviewing me, babysitters and he's like, uh, were you in a cult? <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. I mean, we're looking for something specific. Those, that's, here. A, yeah, it's, that's the bar right there. You weren't in a murderous cult. All right. That's cool. I think this movie is a first on the show in that it contains both mommy of the week and Stepmommy of the Week in oh, <laughs> Silverstone yeah. and Riley Keough, the powerhouse duo. Mm. Man, oh man. And they're both tremendous. Um, Silverstone is not in the movie for very long, but her presence hangs over the entire movie because of yeah. the story. But also her performance is so devastating. And then Stepmommy steps in and she's just as good. I absolutely love her. Um, I'm in love with her. She is oh. tremendous in this. Just, uh, I mean, knockout powerhouse stuff all around. Alicia Silverstone uh, looked terrible in this movie. I know it was on purpose. I am man, not going to you return. Know what? Come on. I've had Come enough, on. I've had enough this. of this. I have heard enough <laughs> of this. What, you think she looks good? I think she looks great. the look you're into? She's old. I have lots of aunts that would probably date you. Unbelievable. <laughs> you guys, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed no. in, in both of you, to be I'm honest. I'm sure she's nice Here's inside. I, I, when I first watched it, I think I was just so upset by the whole thing that I thought in my brain that she looked kind of like the Helen Hunt situation that we encountered in that movie no i can't remember the name way. of that movie you know what i mean yeah i see in my oh, brain that ugly too. No i thought way. that she looked but she looks at, upon my second watch she is aged very gracefully she's fine she's just she looks not fine. she's just not clueless share you know it's just like a different I go crazy helen hunt looks like a fucking triceratops in that, that movie <laughs> Yeah, she's not seventeen. A triceratops. Um, you know, up, up. Well, no, it's, I feel like it's something she's brought on herself with plastic surgery. You know yes. what was That's sexy? What the way that she poured that fucking glass of wine and put it down. Oh. Right down. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, yeah, that's that. That's a that's a crazy scene. Um, 
the speed of that scene, the tempo of that scene. Oh my yes. God. Makes it's it... so good. I would love to know if that was like a one taker. I've, I've never jumped so hard at a movie. I was at the movies with two people. One of the rare occasions I corralled a couple of people to come to the movies <laughs> with me. I think they were totally horrified at the end. They were probably wondering what's wrong with me. But that scene, I jumped out of my seat like I can't remember the last time. Like I wasn't trying to like diss Alicia Silverstone uh, for looking bad. I mean, I, I think she was purposely looking bad. But <laughs> you do notice that like the actors over the the age just gradually they don't tend to get work but the ones that like have some sort of drastic uh aging process they they tend to get work again like John Travolta came back for pulp fiction when he looked like a I don't know what he looked yeah, like Yeah, but he's he got those wrestler. L. Ron Hubbard uh <laughs> people behind him putting him in movies come on Oh he's yeah. a Scientologist Oh, oh yeah, Travolta. Oh, yeah. Travolta. I knew Tom Cruise was. I mean, no, what? Travolta. Yeah, big time. Yeah, Travolta, like big time. The biggest one. There's a no, whole Tom Cruise conspiracy. Is battle, battle oh, Earth or wow. something. Like that, Battlefield of, Earth. Battlefield. One of the was. biggest box oh. office bombs of all time. And it was all it was about Scientology. On. Oh man, Dave, I can't wait to talk to you about this off the pod. Yeah, I need to know. Maybe we should do an episode about Scientology. Oh, we. D- we definitely should. Speaking of Scientology, there's a connection to Riley Q. So uh-huh. her dad that we were just talking about, who plays the cult dad in the movie, he was a Scientologist. And wow. So Riley, as we know, is Lisa Marie's, Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. So she is Elvis's granddaughter. I think we brought that up when we talked about the house that Jack built. And... What happened is Lisa Marie was married to Danny Q and then divorced him in 1994 and then 20 days later immediately hooked up with Michael Jackson. But apparently while she was with Danny Q, they were Scientologists. Yeah, so this is also this this is the second movie we've talked about starring both Riley Keough and Alicia Silverstone because they were both in the house that Jack built. But wasn't uh, Alicia Silverstone was also in Killing of a Sacred Deer? Oh, okay. Was she not? She wasn't so in the house of Jack. So she wasn't in. She wasn't in. No, the no. House of Jack, That's what I was thinking yeah. about. She was in. Yeah, the it was of killing of a sacred right. deer. She was in, yeah, that right. awkward, awkward, awkward oh, right. living room scene. The same. The same. Oh yeah. my See, god. Like, she's leaning into the ugly, and she's playing ugly roles, and I like ugly roles. I, I don't know what. They make you feel you, uncomfortable. I, I she like, looks great to me. She's almost fifty. I, I don't know what people she looks would want good. her to look like. She, in both roles, she could be the same person. It's, she, it's the same. It's, it's the same very character. Desperate, down and out, like <laughs> she's depressed longing person. for some love. That's not. I'm not insulting in. her as a as an actress. I'm just talking to the character in both movies. Yeah, very similar. Very similar roles in both. There's a nice tie-in to uh, that movie and uh, this movie to Killing of a Sacred Deer and to The Lodge. And Kat, you talked about how well it was shot the lighting and everything. The cinematographer for this was uh, Timios Abakatakis, who is Yorgos Lanthimos' guy. He does all his movies. Ah. Uh, Stylistically, they're similar. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, The funeral scene with the black balloons. It's Mm. beautifully shot. Great shot. Well, that scene was so sad. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that it was black balloons. Like, that actually gave me pause. And it's such a fast scene. But still, I was like, huh? Black balloons? That's a little weird. Because she, because of the nature of her death, is such that 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 was part of it. They're Catholic, and 
the nature of her death is such that it's not um it's a little bit different if you're like hardcore catholic that was one of the things that upset the daughter so much if you recall it wasn't just the death but it was the right. I, it was the right. idea of what is going to happen to her soul and it's terribly sad <laughs> yeah that that scene is amazing when she's like she knows that mommy's not going to heaven because she committed suicide. Oh man! Um, I mean, and as a parent, if if I was a parent and I was pushing the Bible on my kid their whole life, and that situation came up, I'd be like, "Yeah, you're right. I guess." <laughs> I mean, what are you going to turn back at the moment where it really fucking matters? Like when it is really about your faith and your spirituality. You know, you would have to be like, "Yeah, that's right." You wonder what the cult is. The the people that um, that Grace grew up with, or the Catholic Church, like, what's the cult here? <laughs> that's a good angle. Yeah, that, no, that's a totally good angle for this movie. I think the the ultimate victim of this movie, you know, there's many victims in this movie. The ultimate victim in this movie, and I think Trent, you are kind of headed this way, is Mia, is the little girl. She is mm. the absolute ultimate victim. She has every bad thing possible happens to her in terms of losing mm. her mother in terms of being betrayed by a family member, like horribly manipulated, used really. And then obviously the final act is one I didn't see coming. I've read some reviews of this that say that compared to Goodnight Mommy, this is like a very paint by numbers. I disagree with that. No, um, I disagree. But yeah, the, the final act is, ugh, it. Ugh. I did not see that coming the first I didn't time. Either. And that's why I think I was so horribly affected <laughs> by it it was just it was a lot and it, it i don't know if she i don't know because there's that moment where like mia herself was such a good actor in the moment like that's what fucking on the second watch just seeing how good the two kids were acting i was like oh you sons of bitches oh you fucking uh that really dark drama is like my favorite shit i'm just mad i'm grumpy all of this could have been av- been avoided, but it's not real because it's a movie. Well, my vote for biggest victim in this movie is poor Grady the dog. That's I mean, what Grady, <laughs> had, <laughs> Grady had nothing to do with the any dog of it. That's what I thought was gonna say. It. It was like the poor pup. <laughs> Heartbreaking. It was cute that they were watching the thing. Yeah, that's what I was They're like say. little family movie. It was very cute. I I uh, emotionally connected to that, especially when she was like. Do you guys want to watch a different movie? Maybe we don't want to. We don't want to watch this one. I was like, "That's me. That's always me I'm trying to change it and watch like Bob's Burgers or something." And if you're going to pay for the licensing to show another movie in your movie, you might as well show the best scene of the movie, right? Not like the dog like running around. I know that the thing is, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a classic, but it has to be the most referenced movie. In all of the movies, like every other movie we watch, there's some reference to the thing. So in this one, they actually show it on the TV, and then, you know, they're in the, it's a in a blizzard, and um, Grace's whole trek out into the snow, like the whole thing is is very thing, and they're all wondering, mm-hmm. you're wondering who's doing what, like who's causing all this, who's doing the crazy stuff, and uh, all the paranoia and suspicion. I mean, just like once again, everything goes back to that movie. This also gave me a very hereditary vibe because the dollhouse, like the, the in well, they had the dollhouse, Mia's dollhouse, and you know, kind of harkening back to the the little tiny things that were being built in hereditary, but also 
like the lodge itself it's like you never really get a sense for like how big or how small it is mm, because yeah. like what you were talking about cat like the angles they shoot things from and like you know some scenes a room feels very very small and then in another scene a room feels incredibly large you don't really ever and, and i kind of got that from hereditary with the house especially the the third act of hereditary where a lot of stuff happens in the house and in the attic and everything. It, it's a really smart way to shoot a movie to subconsciously add to the tension where they're making you feel claustrophobic or making you feel unaware of the amount of space that's really there. That, that's one thing I noticed about this. And, and for some reason, it just immediately brought me back to, uh, to the Ari Aster gem. Yeah, agreed. Kevin, you, you had talked about this week being uh, the second movie of these directors whereas last week were they were debut movies from each director and i think that both directors like com concreted <laughs> like cemented their style on these movies by being very consistent like the brine shrimp in the dollhouse oh, was yes. like yeah. the yes. cockroaches in goodnight mm -hmm. mommy yep. and there's also some uh, parallels in the next movie we're going to watch um but uh, or talk about, but you know, I just like the the consistency and style, and I love uh, that they're just kind of like owning their own lane, and that's a lane I really like. Well, it's <laughs> funny you say consistency because you look at Goodnight Mommy, and the setting was that like really bizarre modern house that had all these weird angles, and then they move it to the lodge, which is a very rustic and traditional sort of setting. But they pulled off the same shit. Like, like what I was just talking about in Goodnight Mommy, you never really had a feel for that house. You always felt like you were in a maze. And it's the same thing in the lodge. So it, it's that's a really good point. Like they they're very consistent, but not necessarily retreading things. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a second draft of Goodnight Mommy. It like and Goodnight Mommy was great, and then they just like got it down and just knocked it out like perfection i am very excited to see what this uh filmmaking duo does next well I, I would argue which is the better movie um it's a tough one for me if i have to say goodnight mommy or the lodge mm. yeah i think for me personally there's a lot more to talk about with goodnight mommy i think if you go back to the kids episode and then trent and i did a very spoiler heavy patreon episode Goodnight Mommy is you can just theorize around it for days. And that might True. take away a little bit of the emotional aspect. The Lodge, on the other hand, yes. by far succeeds in the emotional effect that it has on you. So I that, think they're both successes in very different ways. That's a great point. I recommended this to uh, a, a friend, a friend of the show who isn't, like, the most steeped in horror, and I kind of felt bad later. Like, oh. they actually, went, like, got really stoned and watched it, and then later on, I was like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, let's lay that one on you. You know, just come to me for all of your sure-to-feel-bad recommendations. I'll, I'll bury you. <laughs> you know how sometimes someone will, like, insult you, and all of a sudden, on a turn of a dime, you're, you're in a totally different mood? And you're just like kind of impressed, like, wow, you just totally changed something in my brain. <laughs> when I watch movies that are just like I am physically 
different after the movie. I feel different. Like if you put me in a bad mood, yeah. like it's like I'm impressed. You've yeah. got me. Good job. Like you win. Yeah, me it's too. Like, that, that's what I'm looking for. But I realized that <laughs> no. not everybody. <laughs> Not everyone wants that. I'm one of those people. I don't want that. And yet it's I've impressive. signed up for this fucking podcast. I, I want it. That's how I felt after I feels. watched Martyrs. Martyrs is one of the few movies where I looked at my oh. brother after he watched it and I said, I wish we hadn't seen that. <laughs> oh, come on now. Don't even. Well, it's like, I, now I watch it like once a year. So, um, A couple couple things from this movie, just to kind of wrap it up. They, sh- they shot this movie chronologically. Uh, and it was actually shot on a golf course in the winter near Montreal. And they shot it chronologically so that Riley could, and all the characters, could actually go on this journey. So a lot of movies, and I think we've brought it up before, it's rare to shoot a movie chronologically. But this one, uh, Franz and Fiala really wanted to shoot it chronologically so that all of the actors could be firmly in the journey that their characters would go on. And another great thing that I read is that Jaden and Leah, who play uh, Aiden and Mia, wow, I uh, didn't realize that, the, the rhyming scheme of their names. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just dropping a verse here. Uh, they were actually taken, they were taken by the directors on all kinds of adventures so that they could establish a real sibling bond, and they grew very, very mm. tight during the making of the film. It worked. And, and separately... Riley Q was kept away from them other than when they were filming scenes so that they could actually feel distance between the characters. It really works. You can really feel the bond, the sister and brother bond, and you could really feel the icy hatred, the black, mm-hmm. cold <laughs> hatred toward stepmommy. It really is effective. Yeah. Here we go, baby. pick for the 2020 best of situation was Possessor, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of our boy, David. Round of applause. Nepotism. Oh, but <laughs> nepotism. he does this nepotism so well. Um, this movie's about an elite corporate assassin who takes control of other people's bodies using a brain implant technology to execute high-profile targets. This film is very intense. I definitely had no idea what was going on at first. Hmm. Um, It was a little confusing because I didn't read anything about it going into it. My roommate 
Wes was just like, oh, you guys want to watch Possessor? It's from this uh, it's from this Cronenberg guy. I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to watch that. Throw it on. Let's go. And then I was just like, what? Like, what is happening? Um, honestly, I was blown away. It's a visually stunning film. Uh, I love the way it's shot. The distortion scenes are beautiful, but they also fuck with your brain and you don't really know what's going on. Uh, the acting is incredible. Uh, Christopher Abbott, who plays the possessed, quote-unquote, person that the assassin takes control of, is outstanding. I love him from Girls, personally. I don't think he was utilized for his acting abilities on Girls, maybe just for his uh, his usher cuts. It's funny because a girl was in him and he was in girls. Hey, <laughs> there it is. Uh, there's that scene where the, the possessor is calibrating this man's emotions and he's just like going through all the steps and just like watching his face go through every emotion that he can was just like mind blowing to me. I was just like, he really is good at acting. He just isn't some hot guy that I want to see some usher cuts, some cum gutters. You know, coming in. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, there were a couple of very gore-intensive scenes. Uh, my favorite being when my boy, Sean Bean, a.k.a. Boromir, gets a nice uh, iron stake through the mouth, which I think was probably mm. the most uh, looking away scene of the film. Uh, but I think this is my favorite pick of 2020 because the story itself was just very interesting to me. Uh, it's very much in the future, but also could just be happening now and we don't know it uh, kind of a thing. It was very well executed, I thought. I was also very stressed the whole time, uh, which usually means to me that it was a good horror movie. If I wanted to stop watching it the whole time, I usually am like, well, that was pr- they did what they wanted to do, um, but yeah, and I think uh, I think Brandon Cronenberg is showing us his stuff. Like he's not just it's not just a nepotism thing. He's coming in hot. He's using his dad's name, but he's also like, hey, I can fucking make good shit. He wrote and directed this, so it was just like he had the whole thing going on. I'm very proud of him from a little Cronenberg uh, situation, but yeah, I loved it. Dave, uh, what did you think about it? I love Possessor. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Antiviral, uh, his first horror movie. Um, And a lot of people compare this style of horror movie to, like, the Black Mirror. And I think that's kind of like, it's a huge underselling uh, for this and and also Antiviral. Um, But they're both very much of that, uh, style a little bit in that it's a weird different future and there's always some sort of like weird service that is provided um, and some headquarters where they do this service and it's always a big you know a weird corporation which is very just Cronenberg but it's something that his father never did um, you know exactly he has his own take on it so I think it's really cool that he has an original voice, but is still like very much a tribute to everything his dad has done. You can tell that he's a fan of his dad's work. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, the the acting in this was great. Uh, the special effects were great. I'm usually really tough with, like, uh, glitchy, uh, trippy uh, editing. Uh, sometimes it just kind of, like, makes a movie not seem genuine. And I think that's, like, uh, a, like a knee-jerk reflex from, like, like 90s uh, shit that, that didn't have substance, but it had a lot of that. A lot of the mm. horror movies back then yeah. just had these flashy, jittery images, and it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be scared. Video game video or music video. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, this did that, but in a truly, like, psychedelic, disorienting way. Um, and it was cool to see it done well. And I think he's going to be, like, the king of this, like, science fiction um I guess dystopia, but you know it's not like other dystopias you've seen. It's this very uh, sleek, uh, expensive like science thing, and I really dig uh, Brandon Cronenberg's work. Man, oh man, I love this movie. My heart is full, knowing that the son of Cronebone will carry the mantle <laughs> forward. It is nice. It is Man, nice. Man, I you know, I love David Cronenberg, one of my all time favorites. He's getting up there. I don't expect him to make movies forever. It's so heartening to know that his progeny is so He's got it. It's so good. Like this is everything about this is like classic Cronenberg. It's so interesting that he could take, you know, his dad's whole body of work and just like nail it right out mm -hmm. the gate um this is we should mention uh this is 99 cents on prime right now i actually rented it steal. on uh yeah it's on fandango now for a dollar 99 fandango now is a pretty good like one-time stop and shop you know rental and then it goes up to like five or six bucks from there so it's pretty accessible as a pure consumer of his work um it's like you get twice the lifetime it's like david exactly. cronenberg has made himself immortal exactly because his son exactly. is just building off from his work it's yeah amazing. it's great i now i know that i will never have to be like oh man i wish david cronenberg was still making movies like ah oh, just have the 6.0 version absolutely <laughs> killing it um i haven't seen antiviral i can't think of an instance where someone uh someone's child has has followed in the footsteps of like their legendary parent and really like had the potential to supersede like what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really unique. Joe Hill has a shot. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, yeah, it's, a, nah. it's, it's already too late. Joe Hill is great, but I don't think, I think, you know, nobody's going to be Stephen King. Um, but this is, this is an immediate, uh, immediate second watch for me. I watched this and I was like, right from the first scene, right out the gate. Mm. You're like, Oh my God, this is like, this is just classic Cronenberg. It lets you know everything is going to happen in this movie that you would want to happen. And I immediately had to watch it again. Like I got to, it really rewards the second watch because it is so crazy that you kind of have to soak it up. I thought also um, one very interesting thing about this, about the casting, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in this. She starred in the 1999 David Cronenberg movie called Existence, which I think is one of his underseen movies, but it's really, really great. It's about mm, people it's who... Um, oh, you seen that? Oh, I love yeah, that. It's like, yeah, it's like... Uh, it's like Brandon Cronenberg's work. Yeah, it, it's about people who uh, physically plug 
this like gaming console into their bodies. It's really wild. Uh, so Jennifer Jason Lee was in that, and then she's in this. So I thought that was pretty cool. You had the, since we just talked about the thing, like we're always having to because of these movies, you have the JMB. Yeah. You guys the Bottle JMB of JMB sighting. Oh, yeah. Cat, I, about halfway through this movie, I was like, I think I might have to throw my favorite movie of 2020 to Possessor. Um, oh, we've all switched around. It's very close. It's very close. I, I, it's hard to pick a favorite because they're all great. But man, mm -hmm. th this is a great one. I would highly recommend it. I think that Brandon Cronenberg's onto something here. I mean, just continuing the body horror aspect that his dad was so good at, but also the uh, the abusive technology angle is just so Cronenberg. And I love what Brandon Cronenberg has done with his first two movies in terms of the abuse of technology. You know, a very medical element in antiviral, and then obviously a very technological and really kind of futuristic thing. And you mentioned, Kat, like, your impression was this took place in the future, but this movie actually takes place in 2008. What? And, yeah, in the timeline. Yeah. So what I was one of the things that I was wondering as I watched this because Trent, you mentioned it's it's a super cheap rental on Prime, and I don't know if it still is, but when I went to watch it again for the show, it was like four ninety nine to buy, so I just bought it. It's just in my Prime library now. I'm gonna want to watch it a, a bunch more times, but I wondered if there was like a time travel element to this. So as I watched it again, I was trying to figure out if Jennifer Jason Lee and Andrea Riseborough plays Tazia, who is the the assassin that we're talking about. She's she's from Mandy. Yeah, Mandy Birdman. She's oh, fantastic. Right. I was wondering if their stuff was like in the future, and if Christopher Abbott and some of the other stuff was like I don't know. It, it's there. There's a lot of like timeline things here. Um, it's super gross at times. It's really really uh, uncomfortable. It's also um, you know, like you mentioned, Trent, the opening scene, Gabriel Graham plays Holly, who is who is the, I guess, quote unquote, star of that opening scene. And just right out the gate, you're like, wow, like, how can this possibly live up to an opening scene like this? And it does. And mm -hmm. I thought one of the more interesting things is that Brandon Cronenberg has said that he was on like a loop watching Dario Argento's opera when he was making this huh. movie, and that was the really biggest inspiration of this. And then knowing that and watching it, you really do pick up on a lot of Jalo stuff that he put into this movie, which, I mean... Again, Shout out to just, Italy! You know, if you're, if you're <laughs> the son of David Cronenberg and then you're making a movie inspired by opera, you've got some pretty good fucking... Pretty good foundation to work on there, but yeah, this is this is easily. I'm gonna go back and say that I what I said at the beginning of of my critique of the lodge that it wasn't my favorite. I'm gonna flip now to I think the lodge was probably my favorite, but this that this this um is very worthy of the top four, and definitely I I have a lot of the energy that you guys do, and I think the horror community should as well. It, even if you didn't like love the movie or even if we're giving it too much love, it's it's literally because part of it is this excitement that I have for the future that what the hell is this kid going to make next? Like, I can't wait mm -hmm. to see. It's literally like if Jimi Hendrix's grandson just came out of nowhere and just started <laughs> shredding yeah. everyone's grandson. <laughs> that's what it, that's what guitar it's like. behind its head, just wailing. I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> 
throws his guitar into the atmosphere. And Man, that's really interesting explode. about the, the Jalo angle and uh, he being inspired so much by opera because this is a much bloodier affair than you would think if you just looked at like the plot synopsis. You would not think there would be as much stabbing and blood splatter and pools of blood everywhere. It is a very, very gory movie. It's it's kind of sci-fi. It's like horror, sci-fi, horror, horror, sci-fi, but... That's the element that really makes it horror. There is a lot of blood in this movie. It's very, very mm. violent. In scenes so where it doesn't much. need to be, and that even comes up at times, they're like, why didn't you use the gun instead of like oh. hacking this guy's face off with a with <laughs> That a, was my a favorite fire. part. Like, what? Yeah. It's so stressful, too, that w- you hear a voice in her head tell her what her operative is and like how she's going to go about doing something and a lot of times it's like wild because you know it involves assassination and um but the the party scene um is just so stressful because you know what's going to happen because you know what what he or she has to do mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh, and then you're just anticipating it and uh, it would be hard to execute some of these things. Yeah, and then you have Sean Bond just acting like an asshole, and like you know he's going to get it, or Scene Bean, however you want to say his name. Scene Bean Scene gets Bean. it. Sean Bean, if you will. Boromir. I I refer to him as Boromir because that's in my heart of hearts. Just um, when you guys talk about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just you know. No, listen. It's okay. Other people do, Dave. Yeah. The, that's the, good. The, the audience knows. Uh, but it was funny when um, when my roommate, Wes, was like, oh, yeah, let's watch this. You want to watch this movie? It's called Possessor. I was like, yeah, send me the trailer. Like, what's it about? Like, blah, blah, blah. So I watch it. And as soon as I see Cronenberg, I'm like, yep, let's do it. And then we watch it together. And as soon as the movie is over, he was like, I had no idea it was going to be like that. Like, I thought it was just going to be like a sci-fi <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> movie. And I'm like, nah, man, as soon as I saw the word Cronenberg, I'm like, this is going to be a fucking gory, fucking body horror, weird shit. And I was on board. And so I was happy to encompass that in my home and make uh, other people uh, experience that with me. Uh, so that was nice for me. Are Cronenberg fans called cronies? Yes, they are, they are now. now. Yeah, I, I'm a crony. I'm a crony. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful for Brandon Cronenberg because, again, I'm going to compare it to music. But just, do you guys remember? I mean, you probably don't cap, but when like Julian Lennon came out, <laughs> no. when Julian Lennon came out, it was just like somebody kill me. There's no hope for humanity. <laughs> Everything's going downhill. I feel bad for Julian Lennon because he first came out and he sounded exactly like John Lennon and he got criticized for that. So then he decided like, ah, I'll just sound exactly like David Bowie next time. And then nobody liked that either. I mean, you can't really win uh, being John Lennon. Someone gave me an autographed Julian Lennon box set on vinyl. Oh. And I put it on and tried to listen to it. <laughs> and it's some of the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. You can't win them all, you know? That's one of the um, interesting things about this movie and one of the thematic elements that's going on that I think it's definitely, I'm, I'm happy to admit, it's over my head a little bit sometimes what's being said, but there's a lot of questions about identity in this movie, and that runs through David Cronenberg's entire filmography. You come for the body horror, but the question most of the time is one of identity, who you are, 
what is your identity of free will? You know, all of those questions are going on, and that is like a front and center in this movie. And it's pretty heady. Like, I, I can't really say I, I have a full take on it. I just, I know that that's in large part what it's talking about. So that's kind of funny that it's leading us to talking about the identity of the son from the father. And that's kind of mm-hmm. a major theme of, of what's happening here. Yeah, there's a big, big gender identity theme in this movie that I thought was like really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Again, probably a lot over my head, but you know, definitely the way that Christopher Abbott played Colin and having to play Colin, being controlled by Tazia, Tazia trying to take over Colin. There's a lot of overall identity, but I think definite gender identity in this. I also thought mm-hmm. another big clue that you get in this movie is there's a very quick scene where Jennifer Jason Lee sort of hints at she was the previous main assassin. So I think another identity part of this movie is that there's a whole theme in here of I'm not so sure that Jennifer Jason Lee didn't mean for this to go the way it went because she wasn't ready to let go of being the top dog. You know, it's kind of like promoting the the worker ant to like a supervisor position but they're not ready to 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 stop doing the heavy lifting so i thought that was an interesting identity angle too and i I think there's a lot more depth to jennifer jason lee's character that we can glean from future watches because you largely ignore her um, because she's very much on the sideline and not in any really action-filled scenes but i actually think she's a very, very important part of the point that Brandon Cronenberg is trying to get across. We said where this was streaming, um, but uh, there's an uncut version of this movie that's only available in a a physical copy. And uh, I looked into it a little bit. uh, And Kat, you might be interested. I heard that the uncut version is mostly just dicks that they cut out. Oh, no, the the version uh, no no, the version on Fandango now is uncut and there are erect dicks oh, all over the now place. Now when what? it says uncut and that it's mostly dick, uh, does that mean that it's uncircumcised or yeah, they're, is it just no, referring no, they're circumcised to the scenes dicks. of the film? No, there Where are, are these dicks. There are I didn't a see number any dicks. The uncut version on Fandango. Yeah, yeah there are a number Fandango. of large, robbed. very large erect penises in this what? movie. Yeah. In it's what? In what? Large <laughs> erect penis. What are we talking about? You rarely about? see an erect penis. It, uh, it two different oh. scenes at least, it, maybe three. I feel robbed. I feel ashamed that I didn't see any erect dicks in the films that this I. This is your watched. favorite movie of the year without dick. What? Wow. They're like there's that one scene where she first goes into his body and one of the first things she does she's is go into the bathroom and yeah. look at And in dick. that scene all of a sudden there's an erect penis and I missed it. No, no, it's a sexy it's like a porn they have, they're like porno dicks. Like he's you, actually sucking his what? own penis. Yeah. Yeah, you got to you got to see the uncut. I'm upset. Yeah. He's personally. doing somersaults. <laughs> Please send me and sucking link. his own penis. <laughs> well, well, well. It's only $2 you can fast forward. I d- uh, Cronenberg I'm said that, that his script for this was so long that he has enough material to just do a sequel just with what he wow. left out of filming for Possessor. So, huh. I mean, I maybe more dicks. cannot wait. Maybe even more dicks. Maybe that script was like double the dicks. even more dicks. I'm upset that I was robbed of the dicks, to be honest. To be I'm going to make a movie that's just about a dick. The main character is <laughs> a dick. 
I just want to see Christopher Abbott's dick. Is that so much? <laughs> I do too, kind of. I, I refer I, I to him too. now as uh, fake Jon Snow. I don't know who Jon Snow oh is. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That is so funny because the whole time that me and Jimmy were re-watching this, he's like, that's not Jon Snow, is it? I'm like, no, it's not Jon Snow. And he's fake like, Jon Snow. The whole time, I thought it was Jon Snow. I'm like, no, it's not. It's the guy from Girls. And he's like, no, it's Jon Snow. Who's Jon Snow? Uh, he's from It Comes at Night. Oh, that guy. Oh, I f- yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that. And no, then Michael, wow, they look Michael, who plays uh, Tazia's husband or estranged husband, mm-hmm. you never would know this from from looking at him. He's Donald Sutherland's son and the half brother of Kiefer Sutherland. No kidding! Wow, wow he's so frumpy. Well, he well. he plays like the frumpiest house husband. Of he all looks time. the most like, Lord of the Rings out of the entire movie. <laughs> he's got a nice butt. He's, he's totally nice pathetic. Butt. He's just like wearing a bathrobe around the house. Like, oh, hey. my wife, my wife left me. She wants to do her job, so to hang out with me. Hey, <laughs> he put that butt into gear when we needed it, and I appreciate that about him. He has a nice dick. You know? I can tell you that. Well, I wouldn't know oh, no. because I wasn't given the uncut version. And that's like the ultimate guy. There's a girl inside his mind and he's standing there with an erect penis. Mm. Like that's the best case scenario. Yeah, that that actually kind of happens in the scene. It flashes back and forth between the two um the two inhabitants of the body with the penis. So well, uh, I I guess we all know what we're doing now. Uh, bye, everyone. We're going to cut this one short. Uh, well, best of 2020. Uh, we're on to bigger and better, more erect things. Like if, if we could move on to something a little more appropriate, um, no problem dealing tremendous brutal violence to a child right on screen in this movie. No qualms whatsoever. Wow. Very, very brutal. Both, both movies that we're talking about this week, um, I think the biggest victim is... The youngest child in the movie, and that's that. That's the obviously the first saddest scene of this film. To me, the second saddest was when Tazia is getting ready to go home and see her kid and her estranged husband, and she's just going over lines. Oh, I'm hungry. Mm. Oh, I could use I could use a bite. Hi, it, that Hi, scene darling. is brutal. And vaping. I love the. There's a lot of vaping in this. There's both um, Jewel cigarette vaping and oh. weed vaping. Everybody's got a vape going. I don't remember that much vaping in 2008. The noise of that vape pen just like pulling and that <laughs> weird like crinkling noise stressed me out. That is interesting. There was not vaping in 2008, was there? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. No. No. Especially not Jewel. She has a Jewel. Anachronisms wow. going on. Some part, some part of me like keeps wanting to like really go down some rabbit hole of this movie and think that there's like some some time play here. Has to be, there has to be. I, I also, you know, we talk about how well acted this is, and, and it really is. Uh, Tuppence Middleton, we haven't even mentioned, plays Ava, who is the girlfriend of Colin, who becomes the unfortunate possessed individual. But uh, I read a bunch of reviews that were criticizing this movie for not taking advantage of an opportunity to have comedic elements about a woman possessing a man's body. So it's interesting, Trent, to hear you talk about some of the cut scenes. And, you know, I didn't know about those when I was reading some of these reviews, but I was like, do you not know who the fucking Cronenbergs are? Like, they're not making... This isn't like, you know... That would be horrible. You know, like... uh, 
you know, fucking Tom Hanks and big or something like that's not what they're going for. Like they're, they're not Brandon Cronenberg isn't writing the script to be like, Hey, Christopher Abbott, how funny could you be having a girl in your body? Well, he took advantage of some freaky very Friday nice, or some shit. Some very nice boobs. Let's not let the fellas have all the attention in this movie because some nice boobage in this, I thought. You guys didn't supple. think the, you guys didn't think the boobs were nice. You're just gonna, I mean, how many let me boobs twist were there? On that. Just the one, the one. If boob? I was a baby, I'm sure I'd appreciate them. I thought those were enough. I just can't. You know, my boob log is out the window. I've seen so many boobs for this podcast <laughs> that I just don't even You're notice jaded. anymore. I'm jaded. <laughs> boobs have no. Boobs. They don't even <laughs> affect me anymore. Boobs don't affect me. I see them every day. I look down. I'm like, cool. Still got them. And then I go on with my day. 12-year-old me would have, like, jumped off a cliff for boobs, and now I don't even care. I'm just desensitized to it. Did you guys notice, um, I don't know, I didn't know if anybody else would notice, but at the very end, there are two pools of blood. Mm. Again, very jollo. I didn't think, I didn't think of that. They meet together. The pools of blood mm. make, they make a heart, right? Oh, yeah, that, they, they, they join up. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. That, nice catch. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Italy. Thank you, Italy. We love you. We can't wait to tour over there. As soon as this is all over, we know yes. where we're going. Yeah, the first we thing we do is movies. we're going to empty love your our food. bank accounts. We love your women. We want it all. Let's go, Italy. Kevin, you have a you have an info dump for us or anything? There's a couple cool things. Info like uh, the music was done by Jim Williams, who did uh, the music for Raw and Kill List, two pretty well-heralded horror movies. And the music in this is yeah. is very good. And yes, Trent, our boy Orville Peck, has a song in this movie. I wanted to point it out to you. Oh, I didn't yeah. notice. Yeah. Really? When they oh. when he walks back into his apartment and then all those people are there like hanging out, fucking Orville Peck is rolling on the background and he's Canadian, I didn't so it makes sense. It. The one thing that I didn't understand is and the same thing kind of goes for uh, Brandon Cronenberg's other movie, Antiviral, is the job that the main character has is incredibly, uh, at the least, taxing job. Like, this this lady is getting her brain just, like, planted into someone else, and there's all this psychological trauma and weirdness. And I like the... Um, what are they, the glitch in the matrix or whatever that happens? What do they call it? The anomalies? Mm-hmm. They they manifest as this like weird uh, like glue bl- blob and uh, it looks like a little booger or snot or something that it disappears yep. when they touch it. Wouldn't she be way more rich from having a job that you go in and like you go murder people uh, through someone else's brain going through this machine? Mm. Like I feel like you would be at least like pretty balling and live in like a really nice house. Retail detail. <laughs> I think there's a lot that Cronenberg did to di- to distract you from looking at characters like Tazia, like Gerder, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. You're very much quickly focused on Christopher Abbott's character once he comes into the film. And I think there's a lot to explore here about why Tazia is who she is, why Gerder is who she is. And then there's even more to explore about who Christopher Abbott's character, Colin, could have been had he not had this happen to him. You know, in effect, Mm -hmm. I think he actually ends up, you know, sort of becoming a better person than he had been throughout this entire ordeal. Doesn't necessarily end up great, but 
yeah, I mean, I think you're pointing out, you know, really good things that Cronenberg did with this and knowing how much of the script was completely cut. I'm very curious to see what Cronenberg would do to a sequel to this. But I also would love to know if he was fleshing out Tazia's background, Gerder's background, and some of these to see why these people are in the situations they are. But again, that's what makes this such a special movie is that it doesn't detract from how good it is. It, it, you know, those there are unanswered so questions that, you know, those yeah. are unanswered questions and incomplete characters that we still don't care. They're still complete to us within the, the 90 minutes of this movie. My only one criticism about this movie would be there is a scene where she's going into the other brain or something, and there's like this like melting, this is like digital like melting mm. scene with a body. Like I, I kind of felt like I was watching like a stock footage like corporate training video for a minute on something. Like I just just that like thirty seconds. I don't think you need yeah, that the in there. The wax melting it's, and stuff. Yeah, that's science yeah, fiction. That's, very that's science fiction. I thought that was very effective. I liked. Yeah, that I think part. you just skipped that. It I was unnecessary. I, I liked it, and, liked and it it's because Cronenberg tried to use nearly like ninety nine percent practical effects. So all the mm-hmm. stuff that you see, even like the hallucination scenes and some of the really weird, like dreamlike brain switching scenes, he did all of that in camera. So it, it wasn't in right. post. It wasn't there. So I think he was really trying That's to go impressive. back and, and pay homage to his dad and be like, I'm going to do all this shit like real. Those hallucination parts or like the I don't know what you'd call them, but um, the the glitch editing, you see like she has her hand like up against her throat. And like, it, like merges. And it looks like her fingers are like giant bulging veins. Yeah. Yeah, it's really dis- yeah. disorienting, like mm-hmm. really simple techniques uh, just yeah. done perfectly and like lit perfectly uh the last thing that i will just dump on you guys is since we're talking about all this with special effects and the way it was shot i prefer pee <laughs> okay the last thing Excuse i'll me? pee on you guys since we're talking about effects <laughs> and all this other stuff do you have to pee is the cinematography was done by uh kareem hassan who also did antiviral but he also did we are still here which we've talked about on the show he did mohawk so those are uh, that's a ted gagan movie and he's doing some upcoming horror uh, seance done by Simon Barrett of You Are Next, which I love. And he's doing Orphan First Kill, which is a prequel to the movie Orphan. And that's being directed by William Ooh. Brent Bell, who did The Boy and the Devil Inside. So interesting kind of mainstream cinematographer for uh, such a stylized and, and obviously Cronenbergian film. 